Welcome to the Label and Airweb podcast, where we explore topics related to all things labels and packaging. I'm your host, Greg Carinia, editor of Label and Web, and today I'm joined by Avery Dennison's Technical Sustainability Manager, Matt Wilkinson. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me, Greg. So, Matt, we've heard from you at AWA and APR conferences before. Can you share a little more about yourself and your role at Avery Dennison? Yeah, sure. So my official title is uh, Sustainability and Circularity Technical Manager. I've been with Avery Dennison for going on 13 years now. Uh, Ten of that has been in R&D, where I worked on film extrusions and uh, adhesive formulation. So over the past about seven or eight years, I've been focused on sustainability, circularity, design for recyclability. And then really over the last two years, I've taken a deep dive into regulation and looking at greenhouse gas emissions. That's great. So the environment, obviously, will be front and center today. The physical impacts of climate change and the legal and regulatory measures aimed at transitioning the economy away from fossil fuel is a major topic of discussion in just about every industry, but especially our industry. In today's episode, we'll be diving into the topic of greenhouse gas emissions and how label and packaging companies can start tracking and reporting on their progress. Greenhouse gas emissions are a major contributor to climate change, and it's crucial for us to understand the different scopes of emissions to effectively address this global challenge. When we talk about greenhouse gas emissions, we often think about industries and power plants as the primary sources. However, that's only part of the story. Matt, can you briefly explain the three scopes of greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, sure. So scope one is considered direct, right? So think about um, your company's facilities, company vehicles, that type of thing. So kind of the direct emissions that are coming from your facilities. Scope two is also known as indirect. Um, Think about that as purchased electricity. So if you think about the electricity that all of your manufacturing plants, your offices, that type of thing, anything that you're buying from the grid, that would be considered scope two. And then scope three is a a much broader uh, bucket. And really, that's kind of indirect upstream and downstream activities, right? So there's 15 buckets that make up uh, scope three. Really, the the big ones that we focus on are purchase goods and services, which is category one, and then end-of-life treatment of sold products, which is category 12. And then I should also say that there is relatively new uh, scope four um, that's kind of new within the last year, and that's really focused on avoided emissions. So really not in scope for the conversation today, but just as an FYI that exists as well. Cool. And because scope three includes emissions up and down the value chain is often the largest category of emissions. What are some examples of scope three emissions? Yeah. So getting back to those kind of those 15 buckets, um, the big ones are purchased goods and services, end of life treatment of sold products. But there's also things like uh, transportation and distribution, both upstream and downstream. Um, the use of sold products, business travel, employee commuting, um, energy related activities. So those are kind of the big things that drive kind of those scope three carbon emissions. And according to the greenhouse gas protocol, scope three emissions can make up more than 70 percent of the total emissions for some organizations. This makes it really crucial for companies to address these emissions to achieve meaningful reductions in their carbon footprint. How can organizations effectively manage their scope three emissions? Yeah, so that's that's a big one. Um, again, like you said, it's it's scope three is one of the largest pieces of that can be anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of your overall uh, carbon emissions as a business. Um So really one of the biggest things, uh, if you had to kind of lay it out, the first thing would be leadership buy-in. So that's a big one. It has to come from top down. Um, You have to have that leadership buy-in because it's it's a very big manual lift to do some of the things that you would need to do to to reach your goals. Um, So once you have leadership buy-in, really the second thing is, is baselining. 
So understand where you are compared to where you were. So for Avery Dennison, our, our baseline is 2018. So the first thing is understanding where you were in 2018 from a carbon emission and then where you're going with that. So really the, the biggest thing is, uh, is leadership buy-in. So you want that top-down approach. You want to have to make sure that your leadership team is bought in for all of the things that you would need to do um, at the, the short term and then the long term. And then really that second one is baselining. So understanding where you were from your baseline year. So for Avery Dennison, that was 2018. Understanding where you're at from a carbon emission standpoint. And then understanding how you're going to get to your target. So a lot of that is... I guess the third takeaway from that would be road mapping. So once you understand where your baseline is and where you're coming from, it's understanding a roadmap of how to get there. So for us, how do we get to 2030? How do we reduce our carbon emissions by 30% over the course of 12 years, including growth? So really, those are the big three things that if you're going to start that journey, those are the things you need to focus on. Okay, that's good to know. And what is the importance of science-based targets? Yeah, so science-based targets, also known as SD, SBTI, is um, it's it's an important aspect of all of this. So, so SBTI is a, it's kind of a culmination of about four thousand different companies that have either made targets or made commitments, and it aligns with the Paris Agreement. So that's why it's important. It's science-based information um, given the the latest in climate science and how we get to that two degrees Celsius threshold. So as of right now, how do we impact climate change? These are kind of the big things from the Paris Agreement is how, how much carbon emissions do we have to remove from the, the, the system to be able to reach those goals um, in the near future to, to kind of stop the current path that climate change is on? And now a word from our sponsor. Avery Dennison has removed a key obstacle to plastic recycling with the introduction of next generation AD Clean Flake technology. With the AD Clean Flake portfolio, Avery Dennison becomes the first label manufacturer to enable rigid plastic recycling across its film portfolio, providing brands and converters solutions that support recycling processes without compromising performance to meet sustainability goals. Okay, and we know regulations are driving a lot of the change around sustainability. Do you see requirements to track and report on scope three emissions for all businesses in the future? Is this something that everybody is, is going to be facing? Yeah, I think so. I think absolutely. Um, so there's there's been a lot of, of noise in the news around that. Um, so if you look at California, they're already starting to talk about businesses that have to report this out. And really the big thing that you're going to see in the news is around the SEC. So they have come out and they have, they have proposed regulation that would have businesses report climate information um, as, a, as a kind of a yearly thing. So there's been a lot of pushback from certain industries and, and we won't go into that, but a lot of it has to do with around the, the manual lift and the time, the cost of doing business. Um, so really the pushback there is, you know, there's a, like I said earlier, there's a lot of manual lift involved in this. There's a lot of um, upstream and downstream conversations that have to have. Um, so a lot of this is, are those businesses bought in? I think regulation is going to be there. Um, I think it'll probably work like a lot of regulation does in this country where it works kind of from coast in. So you're going to see your Californias, you're going to see your Washingtons, your New, your New Yorks. They're going to be kind of your first movers. They're going to set the tone. And then I think it's going to move in from there. Okay, that's good to know. And collaboration with suppliers and customers is another crucial aspect of managing scope three emissions. 
By working together, companies can find innovative solutions to reduce emissions across the value chain. Can you share how the label and packaging value chain can work together on this? Yeah, so I think that's a really important point um, because, you know, like like we talked about earlier, right? Scope three is 80% of our emissions are coming from um, downstream of us, right? So they're coming from purchased goods. They're coming from our suppliers. The raw materials that we buy, that we turn into our products that move down the chain, that's where that emission is coming from. So really it's, it's impossible for the industry to meet its individual goals just working in a silo, working as an individual contributor, right? You need, it needs to be a collaborative effort with the industry. We need to have everybody on board, both, you know, suppliers, customers, brands, and it needs to flow both ways because good, bad, or indifferent, all of these carbon emissions impact both sides of that value chain. How do you think our industry is doing so far? So that's a good question. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of good work that's happening right now. Um, I think we have some early movers that I've seen on both sides. We've had suppliers that have approached us about, you know, how can we help with your scope three goals? And we've had customers that are ahead of the eight ball that are saying, hey, listen, we need the information you as our suppliers. We need some of that information to help us with our scope three goals. So I think, you know, I think it's still it's in, in, in its infancy. I think it's still. Um, but again, I, I, I think it's moving in the right direction, and I think it's going to continue to pick up speed. Well, it's great that you guys are taking the, the strides. And do you know of other efforts happening throughout the value chain to reduce scope three? Um, yeah, I would say a lot of it, it kind of boils down to, to that baselining that we talked about. So that's what we're seeing right now from our customers and suppliers is, okay, here's where we are. Here's where we need to go. Um, and then a lot of it also has to do with education, both internally and externally. We've spent a lot of time internally, um, and focusing on externally here in the near future about here's what scope three is, you know, kind of the exact conversation we're having right now. Here's what it is. Here's what impacts it. These are the things that we need to be doing. Um, so that's kind of that's where I say, you know, that's where we're at right now. That's where I think that um, that there is a lot of work being done. And I think a good example of that is, you know, as we kind of are going through this journey, um, one of the big things that we keep running into is something as simple as how do you track changes? So if you think about scope three, if you think about our suppliers, one of the things that they do that in influences our scope three target is if they're greening up their process, greening up their electricity grid, um, there's a lot of good conversation happening right now about how do we track that? How do you track that effectively? How do you make sure that it's accurate? So that's something that currently doesn't really exist. There are a few programs out there um, that we've used in the past that have some functionality to them, but that's kind of the collaboration that we're talking about um, where it's we're having it across the value chain about, okay, how do we make sure that we're on the same page here where we're talking the same language, we're using the same software and we can actively track, okay, you made a change, you greened up your grid for scope two, you know, you put, you put um, a wind turbine in or something like that and you removed coal from the equation. How do we make sure that you get credit for it, that we get credit for it all the way down the chain? So the tracking is something that in the future we can expect to see. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, it has it has to be there. It's not an option because for us to all reach our targets, and by us I mean the the industry, we have to have a good way of tracking it. Or we're just doing, where we're doing good things, but again without being able to track towards those initiatives that are public, that are being uh, broadcast on SBTI, that we are driving towards as a publicly traded company. Shareholders are interested in that. We have to be able to show progress. Of course. And it's important to note that addressing scope three emissions is not only beneficial for the environment, but also for the organizations themselves. By reducing emissions throughout their value chain, companies can enhance their brand reputation, 
attract environmentally conscious customers, and even achieve cost savings through improved efficiency. What can companies do to get their customers involved? Yeah, so I think it goes back to education again, and I'm, I'm starting to sound like a broken record a little bit, but that's that's really the big piece of it. You know, right now I think we're still early in the journey, um, and a lot of it is just having customers and suppliers understand where we're at, what we're talking about. Um, my colleagues and I that work on Scope Three here, we spend a lot of time just getting the internal company on board with, hey, what is Scope Three? What are the levers that you can pull to impact it? So having those conversations externally with customers, I think, is very important. Um, like I said earlier, there are some that are kind of out in front of the pack that are already asking us those same questions before we even prompt them. So that's awesome to see. But there are a lot of customers out there. Right. And this goes for everybody. So, you know, if you look at kind of some of the the smaller, the middle customers that may not have the manpower to drive that, because, again, it is a manual. If you need full time employees, they're going to be working on that. So I think really the, the big takeaway is. This isn't proprietary. The stuff that we're working on internally is, but the approach is not. So how can we be collaborative? How can we share best practices? I think that's important. So let's not have every single one of our customers reinvent the wheel every single time. Let's be able to work with them and say, hey, listen, this is how we did it. Here's the approach that worked. You know, mirror off it if you'd like. And now a word from our sponsor. Avery Dennison launched the Carbon Trust footprinting tool this year, which offers a more thorough measurement of the impact of their products using primary data from operations. This allows them to quantify carbon impacts on a product level, providing customers with robust and reliable information to support their sustainability goals. Learn more at label.averydennison.com forward slash carbon trust. So you mentioned about the entire value chain needing to get involved. What is something that everyone should be asking to further this topic? Yeah, so I, th I think if, if you think about scope three and really the big levers that you have, um, really the, the biggest things that the, the call to action here is looking at the entirety of the supply chain and understanding where the biggest impacts are and how do you reach that? So the first one is, you know, PCR. That's a, that's a huge one. It's a huge topic. You have trade organizations that are driving for that. You have the U.S. Plastic Pack. You have the Association of Plastic Recyclers. These are all organizations that are driving for an increased purity of PCR, as well as how do you, how do you put that into the value chain. So right now, if you look at prices of PCR versus Virgin, a lot of it is more expensive and you have market fluctuations, but really how do you, how do you move the needle on both PCR and bio-based resins where you can replace Virgin material without having to pay 30, 50, 70% more for your raw materials? So that's a big one is how do you, how do you scale up these kind of levers that impact your scope three and make it so that it's economically viable for both the suppliers, the customers, yourself, so that you can drive change within there. So we've talked a lot about suppliers and converters, the entire value chain. Where do you think consumer interest is in sustainability and environment? Like people shopping at the shelf in the store. Sure, absolutely. That's, you know, that's been a big focus of our market research around, you know, if you look at the generations, if you look at your Gen Zs, your millennials, um, if you look at it as an overall trend as to what's driving your brands, which drives their sustainability goals and how that filters all the way up to the raw material suppliers, such as ourselves, uh, consumer is a big demand. You have 
You have generations that are coming up that are younger, that have a big interest in climate change, that have a big interest in sustainability um, because they want to they want to have a world to live in 50 years from now for their children, their children's children. So there is a big push coming from the consumer. And there's been a lot of good research that shows they're willing to spend a little bit more on shelf to be able to drive that sustainability message, which I think is a big shift over the last five to 10 years where yeah, I remember when I joined and I was working on sustainability even eight years ago. Um, if it wasn't cost parity, forget about it. So I think that's been a very big shift within this space over the last five years where it's, okay, now the consumer's willing to spend a little bit more if it has that sustainability message to it. So why do you think over the last five years it's changed uh, and become much more of a pressing issue than maybe eight years ago when you really started focusing on it? I mean, obviously the environment uh, we were still having challenges with it then. Why is it really now the focus is, is like, it seems like all brands, uh, not just suppliers and converters focusing on it, but like the brands are making all these um, lofty, uh, you know, statements and establishing targets. Uh, why really in the last five years would you say it's, it's been? Yeah. So I think, I think there's really two big pillars here. The first one is the consumer drive, right? So if you look at your large brands, they're getting that consumer pull and they're willing to have that shelf appeal that says, if you have a marketing message on it, you can sell it, right? That's what the data shows. It'll actually sell versus a product that doesn't have that sustainability message. But I think the second big one is regulation. So that's a big part of what I've been focused on the last two years. Regulation has continued to ramp up in, in the, the United States. You have EPR bills that have been passed in four different states. You have PCR bills that have been passed in Washington, uh, California, and the newest one in Connecticut, where you're driving brands to have to do these types of things, uh, or there's going to be monetary penalties. So a good example of that is if you look at Washington and California, they have PCR bills that as of January 1st, 2023, if you are a beverage company supplying those beverage plastic bottles into those two states, you are you have to have a minimum of 15% PCR on those bottles or there are monetary consequences for it. So I think those are really the things that are going to drive that. And like I said earlier, I don't think regulation is going away. I think it's, again, you're seeing it in those kind of edge states and work its way in. Um, it might take some time, but there are EPR bills on a lot of different states' tables right now. And it's a big topic around EPR, PCR, and driving towards that. And I think all of those things combined have really kind of culminated in these large brands having their 2025 and 2030 targets because it's no longer it's no longer an option. Now it's mandatory or it hits the bottom line. And we talked about the last three to five years. What impact do you say the challenges of the last three to five years, be it COVID or the supply chain, have had on sustainability? And do those concerns move issues like sustainability and greenhouse gas emissions to the back burner? And now maybe since we're moving out of that time period, it's becoming much more of a focus. Yeah. So, so personally, I was a little bit nervous when all of that started happening, because again, when you, when you have something like that, the supply chain issues and COVID and everything that was stretched thin and the, you know, the shelves are very bare, you know, as a sustainability person, the first thing that came to my mind was, is this still going to be at the forefront? Cause up until that point, it was driving, it was driving very steadily, but there was not, there was no emergency to try to, like you said, backseat it. Now, what I, what I will say is I, I think, um, you know, there was a little bit of backseating just because, again, you have to keep the business running, right? The supply chains, you have to be able to make product or it doesn't really matter if you're sustainable. Um, that being said, I think the resiliency I've seen with my organization and our customers and suppliers to still have sustainability at the forefront has been very impressive. So I think it's still 
Um, and again, as we kind of as we come out of COVID and these supply chains calmed on calm down a little bit for the the, the time being, um, I think sustainability is now completely in focus again. And and like I said previously, when you talk about you know 2025 and 2030 goals that these corporations have, it's as publicly traded companies, that's something that shareholders are looking at. So it's again, it's it's mandatory now. And even if they wanted to back burner it, um, it's something that isn't going to happen. I think it's still going to continue to chug forward. So we talked about collaboration earlier. How has that been taking place and how have you personally been approaching it? Yeah, so I think we've had a lot of good conversations up upstream and downstream. Um, we've had a lot of of good conversation at industry events, so things like AWA and APR meetings and US Plastic Pack meetings, where we're getting a lot of of good one-off conversations and group conversations around scope three, scope one, scope two, and how we can help each other do that. Um, so I would, you know, I would definitely advocate, like I said earlier, it's a collaboratory um, piece. This can't be done in a silo. So please, you know, anybody who's listening here, if if you'd like to talk about it more, talk about best practices, um, how we can do this as a, as a team to move this forward, um, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, LinkedIn is, is a fantastic approach. What is one last takeaway we can share with everyone looking to get started on reducing their carbon footprint? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, if you had to summarize everything that was said here, again, get that that leadership buy-in, have it come from top down, because if you try to push it from bottom up, you just will not get very far very quickly. Um, have a baseline. So understand where you were for where you, you set your baseline target. So you understand where you were and where you have to go. And then I think it's, it's really... Um, you know, you, you have to build the roadmap. You have to understand here are the things that we need to do. Here's the time frame we need to do them. In, and it's clear communication internally and externally with leadership teams, with key stakeholders, with key customers and key suppliers of we're going along a sustainability journey. We want you to be a part of it. So it's a it's a big shift from, say, five to 10 years ago where it was just, hey, this is the product that we're going to offer. Now, I think it really has to have that sustainability story. It really has to have that carbon emission story where it becomes a key pillar of doing business. That's perfect. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on greenhouse gas emissions and the importance of addressing scope three. We hope you found this discussion informative and inspiring. Remember, we all have the power to make a positive impact on the environment. Matt, thank you so much for joining us and for all that you and your company are doing to help drive change. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Until next time, this is Greg Karina signing off. Thank you for joining us for the podcast.